Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Perfect. So we're back with another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. Today, we've got Sarah Masson. I practiced so hard right before and I messed it up. Um, the Director of <laughs> Customer great. Success at Lupio. Uh, Sarah, welcome. It's awesome to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we always like to start off maybe with a fun question and try and learn a little bit of a personal side. So what was one thing that you did this past weekend that you really enjoyed uh, that was just, you know, something great to think about from, uh, from your weekend of the past? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, so I've gotten really into chocolate making, which is just a weird hobby, but I have figured out how to do those pretty colors and designs on them. So I prepped a whole bunch of salted caramel. And then later this week, I'm going to be teaching people at my company how to make those really, really pretty truffles. And I bought teal because it's on brand for us. So we're going to be doing teal designed salted caramel filled truffles. Oh, my gosh, that is my wife would be over the moon right now if she heard this. She is a salted caramel lover and uh, we both love to cook and bake. So I might have to uh, pick your brain as we end this to, you know, to learn your learn your tricks of the trade. But I love that. Um, is that it's actually really uh, I love that segue, actually, because you mentioned that you're going to do it for your company. So is that just a, are you guys trying to do kind of out of the box ideas and, you know, trying to just get some time with one another since we're all in a virtual world world and this is just something that you volunteered for to kind of teach everybody how to do this? That's exactly it. So we have always been a really tight-knit company. I work for Lupio, so we help people respond to RFPs and security questionnaires. And the company's just always been really close. So when we went virtual, we launched Lupio Hosts at Home. And our CTO taught us how to make pizza dough, and I've been making a whole bunch of pizza since we went remote. Um, our CEO taught everyone how to make the perfect omelet. We are... CRO taught everyone a little bit about DJing, which who knew? Um, and we've had people teach the rest of the group about minimalism. I've already done one on chocolate chip cookies because I am just a huge, similar to you, like baker. I love to be in the kitchen. And now I'm going to do chocolate making, which is intensive, but addictive. I absolutely love chocolate making now. That's awesome. I love the uh, I love the different the variety too. DJing, you know, who would have thought your zeros over there just uh, throwing concerts, DJing every night, you know, trying to uh, let some steam off. Uh, so I love it's it. Great. Well, um, I know we got to meet just through LinkedIn and, and engaging a little bit, and I wanted to maybe just read off a couple of things in this post that you put out maybe about a week or so ago that um, I would love to talk through today. So um, you wrote just uh, how accomplished your team has been over the last three months, how proud of them you are, you know, so so much collaboration. And some of the things that you mentioned uh, that you guys accomplished. So uh, you built and launched a comprehensive uh, full lifecycle customer sentiment program. Uh, you built a habit of proactive insights with annual calls to kind of plan for the year ahead for customers. Um, you implemented uh, three unique customer teams. You tracked customer journey elements clearly in Gainsight. You used um, tracking key retention plays in Salesforce as well, adopted CPQ, and then uh, you know found different ways to engage with professional services and onboarding. And that is a very accomplished three months. So I think my first question is, as a leader yourself, how did you come in and just start to identify that these were the right priorities and then just making sure that you could actually put the right effort behind them? What was that process like for you? It's a great question. I would say I have always been really big on prioritizing the right thing for right now and making sure there is zero ego in place. So that if you have to get rid of something that was a good fit a year ago and no longer makes any sense, that's a good thing. It doesn't mean that what you launched was bad. It just means that it's not the right thing for the stage of your company. So the three teams is a great example. 
we, if we had launched those teams two years ago, it would have been too early. It would have been too much specialization across the team. But looking across our customer base now, when we really sat back, we have over 800 customers. They range from having one user in our platform to having thousands of users in the platform. And treating them all as being the same and having the same needs actually didn't serve anybody. So what we did is sit back, think about what problems were coming up that we needed to solve, where could we create a better experience both for our customers and our team at the same time, and then try to formalize those into OKRs. I am big on OKRs. And the OKRs really helped to guide us, making sure we had a really clear plan, a really clear work back, and the right stakeholders involved from day one of the quarter was important for us. Yeah, that's always, I, I always find that as the biggest challenge in terms of just creating the right flexibility as well as accountability, right? Because I think just to your point, even, I'm sure even through the three-month process, there was the flexibility that you probably had to kind of change and adapt a few things that you were currently doing, uh, plans change, and also just, you know, I think what I've noticed, especially in, in some of our early days here at Higher Logic, as we've been onboarded, is just the, it's really hard as you start thinking about some of these uh, this functions inside the organization and working cross-functionally because everyone has such a different work cadence in their function. And so it's really, um, you know, trying to, to kind of get the organization centered back around the idea that the customer should be at the center of the business. And then we should be working cross-functionally on these initiatives to better impact the customer experience. And then by and large, I think like you were getting at a lot of times, if we improve the customer experience, we're, we're generally going to be improving the employee experience because we're probably eliminating, you know, bad processes or like you said, we're adapting and, and making things more efficient or effective or better for our employees as well. But um, I always found that the most challenging part kind of holding ourselves accountable to uh, kind of an OKR structure and really getting a rhythm of the how do we make sure we're all up to date and we're kind of all, you know, thinking and, and going in the same direction on a regular basis, whether that's kind of your daily standups or your weekly meetings that you're, you know, kind of getting with your direct report. So how did you how did you kind of figure out that process too, as you know, just kind of keeping on the same page and what was your cadence looking like with your team? It's a really good question. I love that you pointed out making sure that things are great for your customer, because if you're not starting there, you're going to get pushback from your team. You're going to create a negative experience for your team and you're not going to help with your goals. All you're going to do is create a whole bunch of friction. And what I think has always been impactful for me is think about what's best for your customer, but don't think about what's most immediately obviously best for your customer, if that makes sense. So a great example is we do those annual alignment calls. And a lot of people might question that and say like, well, why are you doing this big call? You're going to go over a whole bunch of metrics. If you're going to just have data, we talk about some of the challenges we've seen over the course of the year and some of the solutions, and that would be probably a huge red flag for some other leaders. They like, well, no, certainly don't surface any challenges that your customers have seen. Uh, but what we have heard from our customers consistently is when we look back even on their initial purchase and why they went with Lubio initially, they are so excited to be reminded of the journey that they've gone through and they love having all of this visibility and even the challenges and solutions create so much excitement from them because they're bought into the journey and some of the things that they've overcome and it, it just helps them make smarter decisions for the entire team. So some of these decisions, it certainly took a little while to get our team bought in and excited about the amount of information we were sharing and how transparent we were going to be with our customers. But our customers are loving it. 
And so we really had to dig deep into best practices, into what we're hearing from maybe the executives at our customer organizations and not those end users who, you know, might not want us purchasing <laughs> that information so quickly. And then, you know, test and dabble and see what the reactions were. And when we caught those positive reactions, I was big on just relying on the team to surface that and champion it to the rest of the team so that we just kind of rode that momentum. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I always like to think about these big movements that are happening just even outside of the business world, right? And if you look at what's happening in the world, it's there's a, a lot of transparency and authenticity. If you look at some of the, the things that are happening in the world, right? Like the, the business world tends to lag behind a little bit, but I think that right now is just becoming table stakes. Like you have to be transparent. Like we're, we're in a world now where data is at the fingertips. There's all these, these available points that I can go look at. I can go read reviews online about your company. I can go talk to former customers. I can probably go find, you know, former customers of yours, right? Like I think there are so many different ways. And so um, I love the way that you just, you talked about that, like, Hey, we're going to be transparent and we're going to be authentic to, you know, what we're trying to do as a business and help you accomplish. And, you know, if, if there are challenges, if there's bumps in the road, like we're not going to, you know, try and, and shuttle those behind our back and say, Oh yeah, yeah, we'll get to those at some point. Right. It's like, no, we're going to put these front and center in our relationship because I think that also is the, the key to building relationships, right. Is the fact that you do have this um, sense of trust with one another that you just build over time and comes with um, some of those those values that you start to curate. So um, I think that's a really big one. Um, it makes a ton of sense that you're, you know, you're seeing some of these um, elements that come through. The other piece I really like that you mentioned is this idea of championing, championing uh, this effort inside the organization as well. So talk a little bit about how did, how did you kind of go about telling that story internally as you started to get some of these things that came in and positive kind of affirmation? Um, how did you really, you know, go to each team in the organization or even just go company wide to say, hey, you know, I know we're changing the, uh, kind of our customer engagement model and these things are working and here's, you know, here's what we're trying to do and, and why the customer is so excited. It's so funny you ask. I joined Lupio four and a half years ago. And when I joined, we were 10 people. So 10 people in a little co-working space and the method of internal communication was very different than it is today. Um, I was our only CSM when I joined. So to float CS changes was really easy. I just consulted myself, approved my decision, and <laughs> went on with my day. I love that. Uh, it, it was pretty simple. And the team grew and grew and grew. And we now have over 800 customers. We have over 140 people. So really big <laughs> growth in the last few years. And we have 11 CSMs. We have two managers on the CS team. And we're part of a larger customer experience team. So much more communication is required. And I mentioned earlier this concept that ideas that work really well for one stage don't work anymore. And I've had to go through those growing pains multiple times over the years. And the methods that I would have used a few years ago wouldn't make sense today. And the methods I'll be using in two years, what I'm doing now will not scale for that. So I can share what I'm doing, but I do think it's an important important caveat that I'm, I'm doing the things that make sense for a 140 person company. And when we were smaller, I did less. And it was just a little more organic and we're going to have more structures as we get bigger as well. That's okay. Everything just makes sense for the right stage of the company. Um, right now, I would say the biggest things are making sure that we really, really understand the why and that we are super transparent about, again, the positives and the negatives. It's such a funny theme. A lot of things that work internally also work externally and vice versa, but some of the CSMs had questions and concerns and they said, hey, I have some really small customers 
and you want me to have an actual conversation about their plans for the year ahead and remind them of the renewal, like this is scary. These are customers who maybe wouldn't have put so much thought into this. And now you want me to like sit in front of them and actually remind them of this four months before the renewal actually happens. So we're doing this planning for the year ahead so far in advance. And I had to have the same conversation with our leadership team. So how do you get the CRO bought into, hey, yeah, we're going to actually put this front and center for our customers. And I think intimately understanding that there are positives and negatives and giving that information up front is something that I have learned is really important. Because yes, a customer who we're not delivering the right value for, who's not necessarily engaged, happy, getting all of that value, it, it might make that decision harder for them. But it's giving us four months to really deliver that value in the right way. And it's also making sure that for the customers who do stay with us, we have a really solid plan. They're more bought in, they're more informed. So our customer base holistically becomes healthier, happier, more engaged, and we have better adoption because we're having these difficult conversations. Yeah, I love, I mean, I, I always find it funny when, you know, we're in SaaS businesses, where, which is, you know, the, the idea that we have a recurring revenue model and at some point we're going to have to get somebody to agree to a contract or a renewal after the first one. And for some reason that always is, um, you know, to some executive teams and to some just team members out there that they're always just like, well, let's not bring it up until it actually needs to happen. And it's like, well, like that's the goal, right? Like the whole goal is that we're going to keep renewing this contract. And so we, we know it's coming. They already know it's coming, whether we say it one day before the renewal or 150 days before the renewal. So like we might as well say from day one, hey, our goal is 364 days from now, I'm going to get you hopefully to sign another contract because we've done so much value. We've done so many great things. We've achieved outcomes together. We've built relationships and it just becomes, you know, a part of the process. Uh, the second thing I was going to mention too, and one thing that I really like how you mentioned is that you, you know, you're, we're doing this well in advance so that we actually have time to, Hey, give us the right feedback. Help us understand if we're meeting the expectations or not. Um, one of our good friends, Christy Falteruso is the VP of customer success at a company called IntelliShift. And one thing that she mentioned to us recently that I really like that she does is six months before the renewal, she sends out a survey and, it, and it's a very straightforward and simple question. And the question is, are you planning to renew with IntelliShift at your renewal date that is upcoming? And then it puts the renewal date in there. And I just really like how straightforward and simple that is. And it's a yes or no. And she's like, you know, yes, that's great. That means we have kind of a track that people go down. If no, that's fine too. But now we've got six months where, hey, we can go back and follow up with that customer and understand like, what are we missing the mark on? How, you know, how have we not met your expectations and, and what outcomes are we missing and not driving to? So I really like that. Um, you're thinking about the same thing. Like, how do I, how do I introduce this concept earlier in the process and give ourselves kind of a fighting chance? Um, you know, because ideally I would imagine to, from your standpoint up until, you know, the four months before the renewal, like there's probably other markers that you're already looking at that would signal that the customer is going in a downward direction anyways. But that is kind of your uh, maybe launching off point for a serious cadence or a serious conversation. And that helps you probably also um, with your kind of renewal pipeline and your kind of management for projections and what's upcoming in the year as well. Exactly. And it's so funny you mentioned the survey. One of the things we launched last quarter was a full survey flow for the entire customer journey because we have different questions at different points in the customer's journey with us. So when they first come out of onboarding, we launched a survey that essentially better understands their onboarding experience. A few months later, we launched a secondary survey to really understand what the gap might be in terms of training and also use cases. So are there things we could be accomplishing for that organization now that they're onboarded, the ramp, things are really running smoothly that are opportunities that they see that we might not know about, as well as like are the processes that we defined actually working now <laughs> that they're out in the wild? 
or is it time to reevaluate the processes and update them? We have a renewal survey exactly like you described that asks that question. And then going into the next year, we actually do a level set very similar to the survey we do out of onboarding where we say, is your team trained effectively? Are those training gaps now that it's been a year? Did you have some turnover? Is it time to retrain? Is the process still working? You could have gone through a massive business shift. You could have been acquired. You could have had a, a, an M&A, so merged with another organization. You could have had a new leader come in and totally shake things up. So assuming that the process that made sense for a customer a year ago still makes sense now, or the training, it just doesn't do any of us any good. So we try to dig deep and really ask the right questions for the right point in that customer journey. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it makes, I think the one that maybe often gets overlooked too is the, the gaps in training and enablement. You know, I think um, I had a post on LinkedIn recently and the, the concept was basically that um, onboarding is about the people and the change management that has to go on in an organization and implementation is that technical, you know, how do we get the system configured? How do we get integration set up? And oftentimes people kind of use those words interchangeably, but I think we think about them differently. And I think a lot of times the onboarding is really missed. It's, it is, you know, we're kind of fumbling the handoff from the sales team. Uh, maybe we're not really giving them a great experience in terms of uh, introduction to enablement and training and, and getting their account provisioned in a timely way and uh, helping them just navigate inside the product, maybe some product led um, training as well. So uh, I like that you call that out because I think we've, we've just noticed that there's um, inherently, you know, a gap there um, a lot of times in some organizations. I also just wrote down those stages that you mentioned because we're going through a similar uh, transition. So I might start adapting some of those uh, key moments that you're, um, you know, you're surveying throughout the journey. And um, one question I want to follow up on too is how, how have you tried to maybe go back and get um, really strong survey results? I think a lot of people that we've, we've come across struggle, you know, I only get 5% or 10% of my customers to respond to some of my surveys. And so I was curious if you've had to deal with anything like that or um, how you guys have really tried to, to look at how do I, you know, how do we get as close to 100% response rate on these things as possible? And if there's anything that you've found that's really worked with your customer base? I would say a few things. The first is that we try to send the right surveys to the right people. We do not blanket surveys to everybody, which means some surveys go to the executive sponsor. So that renewal survey, that doesn't need to go to all the users. That's going to go to one or two core people who we know are making that purchase decision. The survey that really understands things like training needs to go to everybody and they need to understand through filling out the survey what is in it for them. I did a training for my team on email writing, which is a whole other can of worms. And one of my main points in writing a good email is just through reading the email. So not through the ask you put in the email, not through anything else, but I read your email, am I in a better position than I was before I read the email? And if the answer to that is no, then I didn't deliver a really strong email. Same thing with surveys. If I can read the survey and fundamentally feel like through filling it out, I am stronger, even if you don't follow up at all, which would be a really terrible practice, please follow up. But <laughs> even if the CSM never followed up, just through filling out the survey, I should be more informed and capable and prepared. I love that. That is, we, Jay and I have always talked about this. Um, and one of the reasons why I think customer imperative, our consulting business was really successful um, was we gave away all of our content for free, essentially like any decks, presentations, anything like conversations like this, right? Like we gave it away for free in the effort of like, I'm going to give you so much value upfront that, you know, when we do have a conversation, there's already a sense of, oh my gosh, like you've already provided value. And so like, I know if you're going to ask me for a conversation, then there's probably gonna be something that I'm going to get out of that. And there was an expectation that came 
you know, in the sense that we were setting up all this value giving in the beginning. So I love, I love hearing that. And I love the mention about um, copywriting and, and just writing in general. Like I think a lot of times people um, kind of throw that off to the side, right? And when you start looking and, and diving a little bit further, like you don't need to go, you know, be a, um, a English major. You don't have to go, uh, you know, read thousands of books, but there's a couple of books that you can go read and pick up some copywriting skills just about how do you set up, how do you set up just a, a prompt correctly? How do you think about uh, the value statements that you're putting in your, uh, into your email or your, you know, agendas even, or any sort of customer facing documents? Like, how are you thinking about that at the beginning? So I love uh, that you mentioned that as well. That's a really good one. How, um, you mentioned giving a training to your team. Is that, um, is that something that I can see? Like, can I, can you give me a training on that? Cause I would love that. Oh, oh gosh. Yes. Uh, it's a training <laughs> that I've done for my team. I've done it at a few conferences in Toronto. Um, I have a whole deck and happy to send you another call if you want. Um, I essentially came up with a scorecard for what makes a good email and what makes a good email for somebody you have a really close relationship with what makes a good email for somebody who you're trying to engage who's maybe non-responsive so you need more effort there and what i called customized spam so it's going to read like spam you're spending time writing it and customizing it and you're just wasting your cycles um so yes i am so I passionate about writing good emails because it's a lasting impression you're leaving for your company. Um, if your contact leaves, someone else is going to inherit their inbox and that's going to be their first introduction to you. Any email you write, you have to assume is probably going to be forwarded to an executive or somebody else in the organization. Um, it is such a core part of how you communicate with people. And if for some reason someone's gone non-responsive, your email is the reason they are replying. And nine times out of 10, when I go to a conference and I ask people to pull up the last email they sent to someone who was non-responsive and genuinely answer, like, would you actually reply to this if you were them? They're like, no. <laughs> yeah, right. It's pretty, that's like step number one. Like you just need to, you know, kind of read from the, the other side of the coin if you're receiving it. Like I get, I get a ton of those all the time and I just immediately delete them. And then you never really pay attention to it. But now that you're saying it out loud to me right now, I'm like, yeah, actually, I should go back and study those emails that I delete and like, why do I delete them? Um, but I, I think that's so, such a, a good note because when you start thinking too um, about getting your customer's attention and relationship building over time, right? We're, we're going to start a relationship out of one with every single contact that I have and how are we going to get to a five? And it's, you know, not always just going to be these one-on-one -on -one conversations where you're building, um, you're building that trust, you're building transparency and authenticity, right? Like you're actually doing that through emails or through phone calls or through audio messages. I also like to, um, one other thing that I've tried to um, start to get doing as well is actually recording one-on-one -on -one videos, just like instead of an email, right? Like, hey, I'm gonna make you a personalized video and I'm just gonna put it in your inbox so that, you know, you get a couple of seconds, maybe instead of having to read an email, it's just gonna be me, you know, talking about what I'd love to, to talk to you about. And I think even changing some things like that also just help um, kind of the monotony of somebody's inbox. It's right. Oh, this is a video. It's a little bit different. And if you can make it personalized, uh, I think that's such a good point. I also think what I love that you, you mentioned is the customized spam, because I think a lot of people think about, um, I'm in this really big fix right now of doing things that don't scale. Um, and, and not in a way that's detrimental to our company, but in a way that means, Hey, I'm going to take a couple extra seconds and I'm actually going to personalize the email. I'm not just going to hi, you know, first name, and like start to like people, people have already started to figure out that game that, oh, this is a, you know, this is a, a, a uh, custom email that is just sending from a, a CRM or something like that. And so, yeah, exactly. And so, but I think there's the opposite side is just making it more personal, making it feel warm, adding your own personality to it. Um, I think one of the things that we've noticed as well is that 
um, as you start to build a brand, it's really more about the individuals at your company and how they're living that brand out and how they're conveying that to your customers. And so like, we don't want, you know, just a standard boilerplate corporate type language. Like we want, we want Sarah, you know, to be able to infuse some of her own personality into her emails that um, still, you know, live within our core values and what we want to go drive as a business. But like she gets to live that out and, um, you know, and actually add something that will be authentic and, and somebody will want to open and actually engage with. I love so many of the things you just pointed out and the custom videos is something that has actually been huge for us. We launched three customer teams this quarter and we really defined the customer journeys and our sales team was really worried. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> why are you splitting out the teams? And should I be worried about some of the SMB customers I'm selling to and what their experience is going to be? And what we have found, again, being really thoughtful about what your customer needs and doing what's not necessarily intuitive is People in SMB organizations are wearing a million hats. When I joined Lucio, I was helping our customers. I was writing our case studies. I was just doing all sorts of things that right now we have specialized roles for. And our customers are experiencing the exact same thing. So some of those customers, we do things like partnership reviews, which is our version of the QBR, through video. So we'll actually go through all of those core ideas, the goals, and send it over via video because it's easier to scale for somebody who's wearing multiple hats. Whereas in a larger organization, the call really does make sense. And that helps us decide, hey, we're going to send you this video. We can book a follow-up call. But if you're running around like crazy and wearing 8 million hats, and this eight-minute video is more effective than a 45-minute call for you, that's okay. We're happy to accommodate that. And so those videos and just being aware of what the reality is for your customers and how what's good for someone might be terrible for somebody else makes a ton of sense. It sounded like, you know, in, in some of your updates, you mentioned um, things like Salesforce, Gainsight, CPQ. So how, what's, what has your approach been just as you've looked at kind of the technology available and how you've kind of implemented that into some of your processes? Um, tell us a little bit about how you've, how you've gone about that. And then I'll, I'll probably have a couple of uh, follow-ups there. Yeah, I would say very similar themes of the right software for the right stage. Don't have any ego about the software that you're buying, but pay attention to the company and the velocity of growth so that you're not changing tech stack every year. Um, so a great example is we bought Gainsight probably a little bit early, but we knew that we were growing at such a rapid pace. I already shared we went from 10 employees to 140 in four years. So we knew that it was going to be the software we could grow into within probably about 12 months. But before we got Gainsight, we were in Google Sheets. I built a full customer help score system in Google Sheets. We had probably 40 or so email templates that helped start conversations, scale things. We had triggers identified, and our development team was pulling a report for me every two weeks so we could send those emails. So we really fundamentally understood the problems we wanted to solve when we bought Gainsight. CPQ is another one that we just rolled out. Our RevOps team did a phenomenal job. They spearheaded that and they came up with great training resources so that our CS team could adopt it. And again, like, did we need that level of advancement two years ago when dealing with our billing? Probably not, but we reached a stage where it really made sense as we scaled the team to invest in that kind of software. Yeah. It's such a good point you made too about Gainsight and when you're investing in technology about the, like, not only where are you today, but where are you going to be in 12 months, 24 months? Um, and because oftentimes too, like, I mean, I'm sure that was a gamble for you because you had to go, you know, you kind of had to go into in your executive team, I'm sure, and say, hey, I, I want to buy the software. And they're like, well, are you sure we're ready there? But you have to make the case like, you know, we're, we need to build up this 
basically a foundation and build it up over time. Like it, it's not just going to be kind of right out of the gate that we're going to use every single thing that they have to offer. Um, one, one challenge I think we've seen a lot too, is especially whether you get kind of a customer success tool or you're using Salesforce or anything is just the, the amount of data. So I've got survey data, I have product data, I've got interactions and activity data, um, you know, all these things. So how, how did you kind of approach that? Were you working with some of the operational counterparts across the organization to say, you know, hey, here's what we're looking to achieve. Like, how can I leverage Salesforce with like maybe your sales op or rev ops team? Like, how did you kind of go about that part of the organization? Yes, so definitely a high level of collaboration. I mentioned OKRs earlier. Actually, something we do is we review our OKRs and then we identify any dependencies before the quarter begins and we meet with the leaders of those teams and ensure they are aligned and on board for those dependencies. I ensure everyone has experienced someone emailing them on like the last week of the quarter and they're like, hey, I need you to do this and you have two days because it's an OKR for me. And for me, I'm like, I have my own OKRs I'm wrapping. It's the last week of the quarter. We have big goals to hit. I, I would love to help, but what? Yeah, and <laughs> for sure. Please, yeah, please everyone, tell other people. So by formalizing and saying, if there are dependencies, you need the other leaders buy-in before the quarter begins is really, really helpful. Because then if my team is a dependency for something that say marketing is doing, they have my buy-in at the very beginning of the quarter and I put it into my planning. And same thing for me, if I need a RevOps team, they can plan for that before the quarter even begins and they understand what data I need to feed in and what that's gonna look like in their workflows. I am very big on not going to teams with last minute requests. As soon as you know information, anyone else who has a team that might have a dependency should be part of that conversation and brought in. And there are times where we've shifted OKRs because of dependencies, but I would always rather do that going into a quarter and have an informed conversation and say, okay, this is gonna take 40 hours from our RevOps team and they cannot squeeze that in based on other priorities. What else should my team be prioritizing that makes sense that might either set us up at the right foundation or to set us up in a different direction that will still drive a ton of value and then we can prioritize this and scope it for next quarter. Yeah, that is, I'm, uh, I just wrote that down because I want to, I want to take that idea um, into our organization, just about the dependencies, right? Because I think um, oftentimes you're, again, when you think about OKRs, it's, it's kind of um, in your functional area and you're trying to ladder up to like what your executive, you know, if you report to the revenue officer or the chief customer officer, like wherever you sit, you're trying to, you're, you're developing your OKRs that kind of fit into their scorecard. Um, and then, you know, like you said, there's dependencies across the organization, especially if we start flipping the model and thinking about how, how are we all, uh, positively impacting the customer journey um, and putting the customer at the center of our business, then, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter the department. Like we all should be laddering up to corporate level goals that are, are really speaking to what we're doing. And so um, getting that level of dependency and then also the buy-in, I think is just um, so key. And I love that idea. Um, well, Sarah, this has been awesome. Uh, this has been really fun for me. Like I said, I think uh, at some point I'm going to hopefully get uh, you to give me a training on both chocolate making and on uh, how to, how to craft the right emails and the scorecard you developed. And then um, I think we should do this again because I think there's a lot of cool stuff that you're doing, um, you know, thinking about it dynamically. And I just love, I think I'm gonna title this episode something about, you know, developing the right process for the right stage and thinking about kind of leaving your ego at the door. Those are two things I wrote down that um, I like that you just keep reiterating is that, you know, we need to be looking at this um, and kind of removing the emotion and, and of our decision-making and saying, hey, what is the best for this stage? And nothing's right or wrong, kind of throw those out the window. It's just what is right for right now. So um, I really like that. If people want to uh, kind of find you or find more about Lupio, where should they find you? 
Thank you. This has been so much fun. So if anyone has any follow-up questions, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Sarah J. Mathon. And if you want to find out more about Lupio, it's just lupio.com, L-O-O-P-I-O. We help with RFPs, security questionnaires, RFIs, so the response process when it comes to all of those things. And I was telling Jeff before this recording started, RFPs are such a pain that they just have the most wonderful customers in the world because they are so excited to finally have a solution in place. So I am happy to chat with anyone about myself, yes, Lupio, chocolate making. Come with any of those questions. I'm here for them. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Sarah. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again here soon. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.